Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians. It is made possible by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. I am Brendan Telfer. Welcome to the program this Thursday morning. And we've got a pretty big program in prospect as well. Age Stage medical reporter on some alarming figures. Here's Damien Flenley. But in the last five years, we've actually identified a rise in those risk factors a rise in the amount of deaths attributable to cardiovascular and heart disease. So Damien Friendly, and what is causing this spike in mortality and higher incidence of stroke, diabetes and also blood thickening? Damien, a little bit later on in the program. Also this week, more horrendous revelations from the Royal Commission into Aged Care back in Sydney again this week. And the horror stories continue. Poor care, no care, and terrible suffering from some of the most vulnerable in our community. But closer to home, more from our own Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia, who's been coming face to face with some very questionable aged care practices himself. So they were taking this over 200% profit margin uh, on, on the service. And then what sort of... Uh added injury to insult was that they both recounted how they'd received this astonishing bill for 23 days of gardening in a row in the one month at this 140 odd dollars an hour so they were saying they got charged three thousand dollars for gardening that month uh, and the thing that made it even worse was that they both reported that they had varying degrees of difficulty getting the provider to acknowledge that there'd been an overcharge and getting them to pay it back. So one, in fact, had to go to um, the lengths of involving the uh, aged care commissioner. Amazing stuff, Warren Haynes, and what he's been digging up a little bit later on in this edition of the Age Stage as well. So what a week it has been. The Royal Commission, those revelations, as we said, continuing some horrendous stories coming out of Sydney. The election almost upon us. What does it mean for older Australians? We've heard a lot about the franking credits, of course. And internationally, revelations of elder abuse as well this week with the former business manager of Stan Lee charged in California with five counts of elder abuse involving the late Marvel's comic mastermind. Indeed, a restraining order filed by Lee's daughter against Kia Morgan last year for manipulating the mentally declining Lee, preventing him from seeing family and friends, according to his daughter, and trying to take control of his money and business affairs. Well, to make sense of this case in California and, of course, a lot of what has been happening here in Australia in the aged care sector, it's time to welcome Craig Gear, CEO of the Older Persons Advocacy Group and Network, back to the program. Craig Gear, welcome back to the Age Stage. Thanks, Brenda. Good to be back again. Well, there's been so much which is happening and has been happening in the last few months since we last spoke to you. I don't really know where to start. Let's begin with the election because it looks like older persons have had some resonance this time round. I mean, the obvious thing is the franking credits. Um, as, a, as a group, have we been powerful enough in this election? It's a little bit of a shame that the major parties haven't had a stronger focus on ageing and aged care, and I would say also about ageism. We really want to be preventing ageism these days, and, and they're being a bit silent on that. Now, the excuse has been, well, we've got a Royal Commission on at the moment. Um, we see at OPAN that uh, we really actually should be continuing to do 
work and reform in aged care and ageing and preparing ourselves to, for, a, I suppose, a, a future that protects the rights of older people. So um, it's a little bit of a shame. Um, there are some issues like the franking credits and retirement uh, incomes and those sorts of things that have got uh, a bit of a, a look in, but uh, definitely more can be done. But as a group, I mean, numerically, it's quite sizable now. I really was expecting them to be able to flex their muscles a little bit more and be able to dictate some of the issues that are on the platforms. Absolutely. I mean, I would have thought that with, um, really, we're looking at getting up um, at least uh, 1.3, getting close to 2 million older people in uh, the um, in Australia who, who need their rights respected, need a a good retirement income uh, and need a, a joy, joyful life as they go forward into their 60s, 70s and beyond. Well, as you say, the number's getting quite significant these days. I guess as part of the Older Persons Advocacy Network, this is part of your role. Are you seeing them getting a little bit more radicalised as they go about their day-to-day business? Yeah, I think it's about uh, not you can't keep a, an older person down these days, which is, which is great. Um, the Royal Commission does give us the opportunity to focus that, but that's particularly on aged care. It's not around the broadness of issues about um, ageing and, and having a good life into sort of your, what's really now is a 40-year period of, uh, of getting older, um, but being able to celebrate and enjoy life uh, as we go forward. So as an, needs to be done. As, as an advocacy network, are you looking at any examples overseas, like the Dutch are getting pretty proactive in this area? Are you looking at maybe at the Scandinavians as you get uh, your program and your platform organised at OPAN? Yeah, we, we, have, we have and we do work a lot with CODA that sort of do take the uh, broader approach. A lot of our work is around that individual support for people as they engage with aged care services. So we're providing that sort of information, uh, education and support for people as they've got issues with aged care, but particularly around with supporting um, a CODA and a number of other organisations in the um, anti-ageing or anti-ageism, I should say, um, issues. Um, and some of the European countries have shown a much better, uh, I suppose, engagement approach, um, livable cities, um, age-friendly environments, those sorts of things. And I think that that's the stuff that we really want to get, a, um, I think, an ageing well um, policy and strategy in. And hopefully within, with, a, uh, with the next term of government, whoever that may be, uh, we can work with them on a, a proper ageing strategy. This is RWPFM, the age stage you're tuned up to this Thursday morning. We're speaking to Craig Gear, who's CEO of OPAN, the Older Persons Advocacy Network. Craig, um, you know, the election then, uh, we're probably thinking that in, in future elections we might see a little bit more uh, a more strident voice from older Australians, but we are definitely uh, getting some horrendous revelations out of this Royal Commission. What involvement, if any, uh, are you getting there? Well, um, I appeared on day two at the Royal Commission and that was um, one that was a privilege to be actually able to talk about aged care advocates and aged care advocacy services and the, the importance of those services to be properly funded and available to all Australians and also to talk about some of the challenges and issues. Um, the last two weeks of the hearings of what's happened in Sydney um, have been quite disturbing. I think this is where the reality of some of the stories are coming out. Uh, particularly around people being chemically and physically restrained, um, the people with dementia who who 
may not be able to make full decisions in some aspects of their life, but they can still make decisions. And I think that's part of the, the, the challenge. And I speak to people like uh, Teresa Flavin, who, who is a person living with dementia, uh, fairly young onset dementia, and, and she said that I'm, I'm still alive. I can still make decisions. Don't take those away. And I think that the, what we're seeing in the Royal Commission is this lack of respect, lack of dignity, lack of choice and lack of control that people um, have um, in aged care. And gosh, just hope that this Royal Commission delivers some really good recommendations to uh, help turn around the aged care system. Well, we're some months away from the preliminary recommendations by them, and I guess their full report won't be known for at least another year or so. Do you think it's going to adjust your role or the perception of your role in our communities going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, aged care advocacy is so important. It's important that people are empowered to um, stand up for their rights themselves um, and stand up for their rights in aged care. We're doing some work in that at the moment. There's the new Charter of Aged Care Rights, uh, comes into effect from 1 July. But uh, we also want to see a, a greater expansion of our services. We want to be able to get out to all Australians, particularly those that are vulnerable, so the people from culturally diverse backgrounds or other diversity groups or homeless areas. It's really important that they have access to advocates as well, someone to walk alongside them and help raise issues on their behalf, but doing it at their direction so they're still in control. So advocacy, of course, is uh, you know one of your prime motivations and one of your prime deliveries. Now, you've got a number of events coming up, and I think one of them happening here in Melbourne early next month as well. Yeah, absolutely. We've got two, two uh, events in Victoria, one on the 11th, so just after the long weekend, 11th free morning tea at Melbourne Town Hall. So looking for all people to come along. We're talking about the new Charter of Aged Care Rights. What does it mean for people? How do you stand up for your rights? Um, and uh, how do we promote respectful aged care services? So I encourage everyone to come along. You can book in at our website, which is opan.com.au forward slash charter. And uh, that event is a free event for older people and their families. And the next day on the uh, 12th, we'll be in Ballarat doing a similar event. So really encourage your listeners to, to come along and participate. Well, we will indeed, and we'll certainly give a little bit of a hiding over the next couple of weeks as well, Craig. But what is it saying, you think, that we need a charter to protect our older people? Well, I, I suppose older people have the same rights under under law, and uh, we sometimes talk around in aged care circles about consumers, and that term consumer, I suppose it has positive and negative connotations. The positive connotation for me is that uh, you you have rights like you do under consumer law. So if something's faulty, if you're not getting the service that you want, you can, under the uh, Australian Consumer Law, do something about that and have a refund, uh, have, have that service fixed. And so I suppose the Charter of Rights actually gives you that protection that you get under other aspects of the law and say, this is what you're entitled to as an Australian citizen. This is what you're entitled to, that you've been a taxpayer all your life. This is what you're entitled to, and this is how you should be treated with respect and dignity. It is a shame that we have to have a charter to do that, but I think it's a really important uh, protection and tool to help people to say, you're not doing what I expected. This is what I want from you, from you as an aged care provider. 
Here's another one for you. As the baby boomers get older, and many of them are, of course, they're slipping into retirement, they've been a very independent thinking group of people. They were part of a sort of a major modern renaissance in the 60s and 70s in terms of music and expression. Do you think they're going to reshape and reimagine the way we think about uh, retirement and old age as they as they face that prospect? Absolutely. I mean, we now talk about a third age, and I think that's a really lovely way to describe it. It's not <laughs> it's not in your twilight years, as sometimes they're called. No, it's actually a third age where it's a vital and, and, and enjoyable time. Um, and I don't think baby boomers are going to put up with um, younger generations disrespecting them. I think um, we will be trying to stamp out ageism and all that aspects. I think there will be... Um, people wanting to engage with society and actually uh, mentor and transfer their skills. I think there's great opportunities for continued employment, for volunteerism, those sorts of things, and for actually, again, standing up your rights and saying, you will will treat me with respect, you will treat me with dignity, and I've got choices. I am still in control of my life. I think that's where we're getting to now. Um, I don't want it to be just the baby boomers that can do that. I think it's anyone sort of in their 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond should have those same rights. Craig Gear, CEO of OPAN, Older Persons Advocacy Network. Craig, thank you so much for your time. And uh, don't forget, everyone, uh, Craig, organising this major event at the Melbourne Town Hall. It's on the 11th of June. It's a, a charter that looks at aged care and the rights of older Australians. We'll be banging away on that one over the next couple of weeks. Craig, we thank you for your time on the Age Day today. Thanks for having me back, Brendan. Craig Gear, CEO of the Older Persons Advocacy Network, and uh, good to have him back on the program. Craig, thank you so much indeed for your time, and we will catch up with him real soon. A break, and when we come back with the age stage, Warren Haynes and some of those rorts and gouging that he's come across in the aged care sector. Stick age stage on RWPFM, always great to have your company. It's Thursday morning here. We're in the Bendigo Bank studio. It's 98.7. It is 98.3 in age stage, which of course has been designed for older Australians. And we are kindly supported uh, in our endeavours by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. Speaking about Aftercare Australasia, it is two weeks since we last spoke to Warren Haynes, but he is back. Warren, welcome. G'day, Brendan. Lovely to be back. Um, Warren, the Royal Commission, uh, a general election, of course. Maybe we'll speak to others in the programme, and we have been speaking to others about that in the programme. So let's think about the Royal Commission, how it's impacting you, how it's impacting the industry. And just before we came on air... I thought you made a very good point about basically how the Royal Commission seems to be tainting the entire industry. Look, there have been some shocking revelations, absolutely horrendous, but it's not the entire industry that is responsible for some of these um, episodes. Yeah, look, what we were saying was that one of the unfortunate things with the Royal Commission is it does tend to focus on the worst practices that are out there. Um, and there's, there's no denying that, that there have been some appalling practice that have crept in and, and become quite, quite prevalent in some parts of the industry. Um, but I think what it's not focusing on, because it's, it's not the intention of the Royal Commission to look at, um, you know, more broadly, the things that are going well in the industry. There's a, there's a lot of um, organisations that have been involved in the industry for a very, very, very long time and have had a, a long-standing commitment to providing good quality care. Um, 
But uh, yeah, look, it, 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 it's just unfortunate that that there's this perception now that basically everybody that's in aged care is you know out to rip you off. And I'm hearing this when I'm going around to visit people um, who are looking at um, home care packages, and they have this incredibly deep level of um, cynicism about about the whole industry, and it's it's making people quite anxious and quite stressed. And that's that's why I hope you recommend that they listen to us here at the Age Stage where we try and pre- present some sort of editorial balance in all this, you know? Look, I think, it, you know, as we've said many, many times, it really is about making sure that you inform yourself. Um, one of the things that I thought was quite positive in, in some of the recent um, uh, presentations to the Royal Commission is they had an opportunity to talk to some organisations that are seen and being recognised as doing some quite innovative work in within the aged care space. And so it was nice to see that there was a more positive focus around, well, uh, and this is, this, is what, this is what listeners need to be thinking about is, well, what does a good quality service look like? And, you know, one of the things that I think people are often um, misled by is they'll go into a building and they'll be looking at, if you like, the quality of the fittings and, uh, you know, how fancy is the foyer and how, how fancy is, is the chandeliers in the foyer and the polished marble and all the rest of that. Whereas, and the reality is that has very little to do with the day-to-day quality of a person's life living in that space. Look, it's nice to have nice surroundings, don't, don't get me wrong, but uh, what they were talking about in the Royal Commission is uh, the importance of... Uh, the people that are running the services, ensuring that the building design, for example, reflects the type of support that they're going to be providing. So specifically, they had an example where um, the one provider talked about in, in their nursing home, they set up smaller environments or spaces within the overall building structure that allowed people who were restless such as people with dementia, um, to be able to, as they said, go for a walk. Now, now normally people that are sort of wandering and trying to get out of doors and tr- you know often trying sort of hovering around exits um, are regarded as you know that's regarded as being a problem behaviour in nursing homes. Um, so they you know they're described as wanderers, and and it's not meant as a compliment. Whereas this, this uh, organisation had structured their, their actual physical environment so that people, if they wanted to, could just go out a door and go for a walk in, a, in an adjoining courtyard that was still secure but, but beautifully planted out with some vegetables and um, activities and things that might engage them. Um, I've seen this actually at a, this sort of innovation at a, at a respite facility, a short-term respite facility, where uh, for people that were really restless, what they do is they'd, uh, they'd actually build a bus stop out in, the, out in the yard and a few other sort of features so that for people with quite advanced dementia where they still think that they're getting up and getting ready to go to work each day, they could still follow some of their normal routines and wander out the door like they have been doing for the last 30 years when they're in the workforce and go and sit at the bus stop and wait for the bus to come. And, and by doing that, those people were actually uh, getting a sense of purpose and feeling quite happy with their morning routine and not getting upset and, and agitated, having a whole lot of nurses try and interfere with them and tell them to back away from the door and they're getting in the way of people coming and going from the room. And so, so by doing this, they're, they're actually already removing a whole lot of conflict 
Um, they often also include really simple features like having very, very distinctive doors and entrances and colour schemes to uh, individual residents' rooms so that they have a much clearer sense of this is my place in the building. Because, again, this is one of the things that uh, people don't sort of, I suppose, think about this, but it's a really common problem, Brandon, in, in nursing homes where you have residents wandering into someone else's room and then they'll have an enormous conflict because, of course, the, the occupant of the room is saying, what are you doing in my room? And the person who's perhaps slightly confused and not recognising the difference between their room and the other person's because they essentially look the same, uh, they're wandering in, they're going, what are you doing in my room? I've got a stranger in my bed. You know, how dare you? And so they'll, they'll often have, um, you know, when there's been all these reports of violence and assaults, etc., that would be one of the leading causes of assaults in nursing homes is residents getting confused about whether they're in their own room or somebody else's. And so a little bit of simple design um, and getting you know architects involved to, who understand these, these sorts of issues can almost completely remove the problem because it's really clear in terms of going, no, remember, your room's the red room. Your room's the room with the, the carved panel door on it. Look at the door. That's that's someone else's. And and you know, simple things like having a slot in the door to put the person, a picture of the person, on the front of the door, so that there's these really clear visual cues. And all of a sudden, hey presto, you know, ninety percent of your, your your conflict and your and your your fights and arguments is completely gone. Whereas the problem's been that because the the industry's expanded rapidly. Uh, I think, as we've said before, there are some major investors and equity companies that have seen, really, they've just seen the dollar signs, um, you know, that, and they've seen op investment opportunities, and their focus when they're building, developing their buildings is, let's make it look really fresh, flash at the front, so that we wow people when they're, you know, families in particular, when they're first coming, you know, they go, oh, it looks like a luxury hotel. Um, and then out the back, they're literally designing it so they can cram as many beds as possible into the minimum number of square metres required by the regulation. And they're not, and they're just going to build it, sell it, walk away, and not have to worry about well, the day-to-day -day operations. Sounds so incredibly cynical, doesn't it? Just a reminder, this is The Age Stage. We're speaking to Warren Haynes. He's from Aftercare Australasia. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM. Time for a little bit of a break here on The Age Stage, of course, a program which is supported by your very own Aftercare Australasia and, of course, Australian Unity. We'll be back in just a moment with a little bit... This is The Age Stage this Thursday morning. Hi, everyone. I'm Brendan Telfer. We're in the midst of a discussion with Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. And before the break, we were speaking to Warren about the Royal Commission into Aged Care. And uh, Warren, of course, is still with us. Warren, with that um, Royal Commission in mind, seems that the government is not going to wait, in fact. And indeed, it's already rolling out initiatives ahead of its preliminary findings. And those were initially due later on this year, but things are moving a little bit quicker than that. Yeah, look, it, it, it's certainly a long way off uh, making formal recommendations, but I think that there's been a very clear sense from government that they need to respond to some of the you know, more obvious uh, issues that have been uncovered through the Commission. So one of them in particular is around this structure of the pricing. Uh, we've, we've talked before about how um, providers can essentially just set themselves uh, an administrative component 
that they just simply take out of the package before the client even begins to see any supports. And this can be quite a substantial amount of money. So, you know, we're really pleased to see that this is coming through um, because it's going to sort of create a bit more of a level playing field for everybody. Um, it, Which is something that surely you must uh, really relish. I mean, you're one of the good guys... Uh, you tell us in this in this particular market in this area, and that to see this malpractice going on, then all of a sudden the cavalry rides in in the form of the government. You must that must hearten you. Yeah, look, definitely. I, I would still uh, I would qualify that by saying it's still going to operate as a marketplace. So the 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 old buyer beware will still apply, but the the emphasis now is on. Uh, all organisations having to be much more transparent about their pricing structure. The idea is that uh, every company is going to have an obligation to publish a standard set of prices around what are the supports cost, what's the admin component cost, they're not calling it admin anymore, um, and and what's the case management cost. So that in theory, uh, people that are looking at a home care package can go to one provider to another and then do an estimate of what their costs will be. Um, you have been mentioning the administration costs in the past and how these can be quite prohibitive and how some people can use this as a gouge, quote-unquote. Yeah, look, again, what happens is that people, they're not thinking about that, you know, what, what are the actual numbers involved? So when someone's saying to them, you know, oh, well, you know, we take out 30%, um, you know, to manage your package, uh, you know, you, in, in, when you're under a bit of pressure to make a decision, that might not sound like that much. But, but you need to put that in perspective and go, well, hang on a minute, if it's 30% of a level four package, which is a value of over $50,000, you're talking $15,000 a year to provide some fairly straightforward and uncomplicated um, administrative functions that, by and large, might I add, are not being done by anybody senior in the organisation. They're usually just paying, you know, the, the, some of their lowest paid workers to do these, the, you know, this number crunching and some, you know, basic clerical administration work. And, and you're, you're paying an enormous premium on that. So it, it will make that much more explicit and upfront with, by putting a dollar figure on it. And I, we think that's really good. It must be really good. Now, before coming into the studio today, you were also giving us a bit of a reveal about a couple of clients that you'd met in recent weeks that uh, this probably applies to in a, in a big sense. Yeah, so one of the other things that's really great about this uh, pricing schedule that the, that's going to be published uh, by 1st of July, every provider has to do this. It's, it's in law now. It came into effect in March. Is that you have to actually say how much some of these basic services actually cost. And so I was astonished um, in the last sort of month or so. I, uh, just by coincidence, happened to see two separate individual clients who had been with the same provider, which I won't name on air, but it was an interstate provider, um, and they had uncovered that they were being grossly overcharged for their gardening services. Something in the order of... Now, I did hear two different figures. So one was $117 an hour and one was $147 an hour. And in fact, they were the gardening was being subcontracted to private local companies. And the private local companies were saying, well, we're actually only charging your, your provider... $50 an hour. So they were taking this, well, what is it? It's, you know, two, over 200% profit margin uh, on, on the service. And then what sort of uh, 
added injury to insult was that they both recounted, so there, there must have been some sort of administrative problem with their, uh, their billing system, they both recounted how they'd received this astonishing bill um, in December last year, I can even tell you the month, uh, for 23 days of gardening in a row uh, in, the, in the one month at, at this $140-odd an hour. So they were saying they got charged $3,000 for gardening that month. Uh, and the thing that uh, made it even worse was that they both reported that they had varying degrees of difficulty getting the provider to acknowledge that there'd been an overcharge and getting them to pay it back. So one, in fact, had to go to um, the lengths of involving the uh, aged care commissioner, which good on them, that's, that's what they should do, um, but it just shouldn't be necessary to go to that length, Brendan. I mean, you know, I, I think I was saying to you off air before, if we had an error like that occur, uh, you know, my boss would be out there looking, looking to nail somebody to the wall because it's just such a, a gross... Uh, misconduct or it's, it's so outrageous and also that people can be gouged like this as well and we're talking about a sort of a vulnerable demographic as well that this practice is going on but all power to the government then and, and obviously it must be bipartisan as well that these uh, protocols and practices are being introduced now and legislated for so uh, that's the good news the bad news is that these people have been gouged for a long time but at least there's some redress now yeah, and, and look, I guess the other thing that, that's good is it does show that the that sort of market forces are working because both of those um, clients that I saw, one had already transferred to another provider and one was in the process of looking to transfer. So they'd, they'd, they'd come to their own conclusion about whether they were getting good service or not um, and they'd very clearly decided they weren't and they were going to look and see who else was out there. So that that's how it's meant to work, but... It's still quite shocking to hear that those sort of extreme sort of uh, practices can be going on. So let's have a look then. So obviously still as far as the Royal Commission is concerned and what it hands down is still some time away. Later on this year we're going to start getting a sense of what it's, it's on about. But in the meantime, uh, as we were saying at the outset, you guys that are providing a good service as an area sort of being tarred by the same brush, are we beginning to get a glimpse of what good practice should be and uh, getting away from the basic fundamentals of trying to drive profit out of this area? Are people going to be rewarded in future for providing good service, wonderful environments, better architecturally realised buildings, those sorts of things? Yeah, look, and, and I think that's something that's yet to to be seen. It's definitely one of the things that they do need to look at addressing. Essentially, if government wants uh, providers to be engaging actively with best practice, they need to incentivise it. Uh, one of the issues with how we're currently structured is that you get paid the same amount of money whether you're doing a good job, a bad job or an indifferent job. And, and largely the funding is based on how many, uh, whether you're providing the person with a bed, you're putting some kind of food in front of them and and you're providing sort of a very basic level of care. There's nothing in there that says you need to provide a quality service and there's no incentive to provide a quality service. So, um, you know, really other than being a viable company and having a good reputation, um, from a business point of view, 
you just don't get anything extra, but it might cost you more to deliver that better quality service. And that's the thing where I think there's a significant gap at the moment. We're, we're, they're paying for mediocrity, and unfortunately, that's what they're getting at, at, at a lot of the time. I think the, the really extreme abusive stuff is probably still a very small percentage of the overall industry, but the far bigger part of the industry is just, for want of a better word, mediocre. They're not really meeting their consumers' needs. They're not doing a bad job. It's okay, but it's really just not at the level that people are looking for. And that's what's missing. That's the gap. Warren Haynes of Arctic Australasia, always there to fill in the gaps. Mr. Warren Haynes, thank you very much indeed. We acknowledge Warren, of course, in Arctic Australasia, helping get this program to air. The Age Stage continues this Thursday morning. On the other side of the break, we'll be speaking to our medical reporter, Damien Flenley, about some pretty horrendous coronary figures coming out of the UK. Are they applicable here? We ask the question. You're tuned up to RPPFM as they are telling us, and thank you very much indeed for your company this Thursday morning. Aged Age continuing, made possible by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. So this week, some disturbing news coming out of the UK. Heart disease, stroke and artery and arterial clogging are up. So too diabetes and high blood pressure. The first rises in this area in some 50 years. So time then to unleash the Age Stage medical reporter, Damien Friendly, here to explain the situation. Damien, a very good morning to you. What is going on in the UK? Well, look, it's a worrying slowdown of the prevention of cardiovascular risk factors as well as heart disease across the United Kingdom. Um, it's very similar to what we're experiencing here in Australia, where we've had this immense uh, development of intervention and drugs and care, and we've done great for the last, you know, 5, 10, 15, even 30 years since the early 70s and, and beyond that we've actually improved our heart risk factors immensely, saving lives every single day, which is tremendous. But in the last five years, we've actually identified a rise in those risk factors, a rise in the amount of deaths attributable to cardiovascular and heart disease. So what's happening? Um, the science isn't keeping up, and for the moment we're just going to plateau as we come to terms with this great killer? Look, the, the science is fantastic. It's doing tremendous amounts, but clearly it's limited. You're right, it's plateauing in our intervention rates that are beneficial to patients. Uh, we're actually identifying higher risks of stroke higher risks of heart disease and blood pressure that are now not being, these things we can't treat with the traditional uh, interventions. Uh, there is medications that can be supportive, but it doesn't stop the progression of the disease. So the population that is presenting with these issues is obviously growing as well. Is that what is reflecting in these numbers? Predominantly the ageing population. Uh, we talk about the increasing risk factors of stroke and diabetes and obesity in our, in our current epidemics. Uh, and these are the, the contributing factors that are altering those uh, rise in numbers. People not knowing their numbers, Brendan, not knowing what their blood pressure should be, not knowing what their weight should be, not knowing the difference between their LDL and their HDL cholesterols, what their cholesterol ratio is. Um, even that, as I said, simple measurement of your waist, knowing that if you have a waist greater than 100 centimetres, you're at a risk of having a heart attack. 
So that brings us on to the next big element then, which is basically complacency. So maybe we think that, hey, we can go to the doctor. And we've used the analogy before, like the smash repair guy. We go to the panel beater when we've dinged the car. But really, if we're smart, we don't have to get to the smash in the first place. Well, this is right. You've only got one car, so you probably better look after it rather than letting it get dinged up and beaten and the oil getting thicker like your cholesterol can do. These are things that people can manage regularly every day. They can get in contact with their GP. Uh, the heart Foundation and Australia Post Heart Week have done a great little endeavour about Australia's biggest serial killer. The serial killer being heart disease, being risks of stroke, and that we do this to ourselves every day. Being so so closely associated with the Heart Foundation as you are, and you have, of course, your annual Heart Week, is it difficult to keep this front of mind for people? I mean, is, is one week a year enough? Well, look, we always say no. You can always contribute and get involved with the Heart Foundation and be engaged in their ongoing educative supports. These things run monthly, uh, quarterly, and obviously yearly. Uh, the campaigns are run consistently through the year. However, we do get these uh, campaign fatigues. I guess this is a lifestyle that people need to manage for themselves. There's a great diet book, a lot of great resources from the Heart Foundation. In fact, those that want to just take a quick test online, they can go to heartfoundation.com.au. It's a free test that gives you a basic understanding of what you should know and what you can do about your heart disease and stroke risk factors. It's interesting to note uh, that the dear old POMS, having identified these numbers, these alarming, this alarming spike in heart disease, stroke and clogged artery for the first time in 50 years, are suggesting uh, that they still have this ambition to halve premature death and disability from stroke while increasing heart attack survival to 90% by 2030. So nobody's giving up here. Well, these are lifestyle factors. We know that if we give people the right amount of food, the right amount of exercise and a generous healthy living lifestyle that we don't need cardiovascular and heart disease risk factors there's always going to be genetics that play a huge role in this and so there's always going to be some contributory factors however a lot of it can be prevented just by living well so the upshot of this morning's chat then is read the uh, read the newspapers look at some of the headlines and make sure that you use that as a reminder about your own heart health well, a great reminder from the Heart Foundation and Australia's campaign is to go and see your GP. Check in and identify your heart risk factors. There's a particular billing code that's available for the GP. They get paid for doing the job well. You get the benefit of their expertise and skills, and you get to live your life maybe a little bit longer and healthier. Damien Friendly, Damien, thank you very much indeed, and uh, we love it when you uh, finish on a positive note. Thank you so much indeed. Uh, a stage medical reporter with some very important advice. Please do take note and so uh, that's just about it for this week thank you very much indeed for your company today i must of course thank our guest craig gear from the older persons advisory network ron haynes from aftercare australasian of course not forgetting our intrepid medical reporter damien flenley i am brendan telfer can i also thank our sponsors aftercare australasia and australian unity and a reminder to you all that the Aged Age returns in seven days' time. We certainly hope that you have a uh, stress-free week. You vote well, and we meet again next Thursday morning. Until then, stay safe. Drop me a line stating point of view